0: Welcome to the Death Dialogues Project Podcast. I'm your host, Becky Odd and I can guarantee you that you will be a better human for listening to these stories. Thanks for being here. Hey, thank you so much for being here today for this conversation with Shauna Jans. Shauna is dedicated to tending belonging in our world within ourselves, with each other, and with our other-than-human relationships. She creates space for reaching into the rough and beautiful places that are a catalyst for transformation and healing, personally and collectively, through grief work, ritual, and ancestral healing. Her offerings are trauma-informed and anchored in the resiliency of the human spirit, healing just justice, and animist views. Shauna supports individuals, families, communities, and organizations, and she's been designing and delivering trauma-informed programs since 2008. Alongside her online school of sacred grief, Shauna is a trainer and director with BC Bereavement Helpline, supporting traumatic loss, and she's been a teacher with Ancestral Medicine, leading multi-day healing rituals. An executive director with Learning Through Loss, serving youth with grieving education and support, and the founder of the Victoria Holistic Death Care Gatherings, and a co visionary for the annual Deathly Matters Community Conference. She's a lover of inspiration and creativity and can be found dancing and playing music and walking in the wilds of nature and mystical communication. I love this conversation. It was really expansive and I'm looking forward to you listening to it, especially if you've been within the grief space, because I think she gives you um, a full spectrum from time on earth into the beyond of what this uh, journey of grieving can actually expand to and the beauty that can be found there. It's quite a in deep and inspiring conversation. I thank her for being with us today and I thank you for listening. Hi, Shauna. Thank you so much for joining us today.
1: It's a pleasure to be here, Becky. Thank you.
0: So um, as you know, how we roll here is um, we'd love to hear just what your story is surrounding loss. And I know you're doing some amazing, profound work that I'm very, very intrigued to hear more about. And maybe you can just then lead into that. And we'll just have a chat if that's okay.
1: It sounds wonderful, yeah. You know, my story—it's—I've sat with this because I—I know how you roll here, at listening to your other episodes, and it feels like a, a beautiful opening question and one that I'm actually struggling with because there's there's a, a few threads in my life of loss and grief that have really shaped who I am and how I show up and and the healing work and and all of those things. And so, uh, just before we met here, I kind of went into a meditation state and was just like, okay, what, what wants to speak today? And a memory arose that I haven't thought about in quite a while. And it's a story that I've never really told. And the one, well, the one time I tried telling it was actually in an educational setting and it was a small group work and it, I got some kind of dismissive uh, responses to it. So I think it needs, yeah, it, it wants to come out. So, and it's very connected to, it's kind of like two parts. So I'm going to tell you uh, this memory that came to me today of when I was about six years old and then how that has connected to this other experience of loss and grief like 20 years later that has been really profound and really shaped me. So this memory that arose, um, you know, I was over the, across the street uh, at my best friend's house, you know, I was about, about six years old. And I had found a grasshopper in the garden, and I was so excited because I wanted to become friends with this grasshopper. And so I got this beautiful, like large glass jar, and I spent so much time setting it up and putting dirt and grass in it and making a home for this grasshopper. I researched what grasshoppers ate, what they would like. And just put so much energy and focus into creating this home for what was going to be my grasshopper. And we were going to be good friends. I could just feel into this relationship, this magical relationship we were going to have. And so I I put this little being into this new home and I spoke to it and I, you know, I hope you're going to be happy. And And the next morning I woke up excited to say good morning to my grasshopper, and grasshopper had died. And it's that moment is my first full-body memory of grief. And I think it surprised both my best friend and her mom who came running in, but I was just overtaken with grief and sobbing and sounds and full-body experience, like I can take myself back to that moment. And it was like the first wave of grief that came through was like, oh my goodness, but I, we had all, this was going to be a beautiful friendship and it was going to be magical. And I was so excited. So it was that that grief of that not coming true, but then the, the next wave, and I wouldn't have had words for this as a six-year-old, but I had the, the, like the felt, the expression of it, the grief of it was like, oh, I killed this one. I killed them because even though I wanted to have such a loving relationship and I was so excited and I put so much effort into their home and, and I killed them likely because they, they didn't have enough oxygen in this new home. And it was this double wave and this moment of like, very tactile, tangible, kinesthetic experience of just this horror of both that loss of this little grasshopper dream I had, but also like, oh, I, this, this one died at the hands of myself, even though my intention was of beauty. And I remember like taking that grasshopper to the side garden And having a burial for it and crying. I remember the flowers in the garden, the snapdragons there of like bright red and fuchsia and purple. And I remember the feel of the dirt. And I remember the just the full body like anguish and despair as I buried this grasshopper. And I can, you know, I can just still feel into that memory, but it was more, uh, in my body at that point. And I couldn't, and when I look back at it now, what surprises me is how presencing that pain and grief was for me. Like the, the, the the exquisite detail, the memories of the colors of the feel, like it's all there. And then fast forward, like 20 odd some years later from the girl with the grasshopper and um, you know, I'm in my master's program. It's a really critical program looking at environmental and social justice and health policy, and um, I just started working at this wonderful organization, which uh, at that time I wouldn't have known it, but was going to become a long-term 12-year um, part of my life working for this organization, supporting youth through grief, delivering a lot of grief education. I was speaking to about you know, 3,000 different youth each year around grief education, going into schools. And for whatever reason, uh, a whole mix of events and eye-opening things coming into my world, the exquisite grief and pain of the suffering of our world, of the ecological despair and global suffering. And for some reason, I, it's like I hit the taproot of all the collective suffering. And I became absolutely immobilized and overwhelmed in my pain for the suffering and the injustice happening in the world. And I felt really powerless. And it was a time in my life where I sank just like lower and lower into, you know, what I might call now my global despair phase. But I mean, that phase never disappears. Right? I just learned how to carry it differently. I came really depressed. Um, as any one of us know, when we're, when we're hit with grief, you know, it's, it's not like at first we can do anything with, with that grief. It's, it's more like it's doing us, right? It's, it's more of a surrendering to how it just bowls us over. And that was my experience anyways. And, you know, I became hyper focused. All I could see in the world when I, when I would be able to get out of bed or, you know, was just kind of all the shitty things happening in our world. And I was seeing, I guess, with new eyes, more of the realities of what was happening. And my own role in it. And so my heart really cracked open. You know, I'd wake up in the mornings and I'd just be flooded with different images from different like scenes across the world, whether it was, you know, suddenly having images of Amazon forest trees being cut down or images of people suffering being separated from their families or, or from like a natural disaster to, things more close in, in my neck of the woods, you know, here as I was in, in my daily life, seeing, seeing all this pain and becoming like oriented to it's all I could see. And I don't know what allowed me and supported me fully to get through that. I mean, I had a very loving partner at the time and it felt like, I mean, it was, it was, it was probably my, one of my most substantial initiations into really not just intellectually, but full body understanding that our interconnection and, and, and humanity. And so in order for me to, to take, and kind of, I guess, harness the sensitivity, this whole experience I was having of, of global suffering and to and to move it in a meaningful and life affirming way um i had to learn how to move that grief and i was very fortunate that at that time i was able to start moving it even more and getting more um committed to doing grief work and grief education and grief support with um others and 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 starting to see that this grief was not just my experience yes it was a, it's the human experience of course but it also started making me see where like the the disservice that living in this Western, maybe modern or dominant culture, what a disservice it has been not to have had the skills or the know how or the support readily available for going through such a profound um, experience. And um, so that's when I think about grief and loss and how what has most shaped me, it, it has been that experience of. Global suffering, ecological loss, and the pain of the world. And it's so interesting that in my meditation, this memory of (laughs) my, of grasshopper came up. And what I'm feeling into is that part of the disservice of not growing up in a culture that is maybe very grief friendly. And, you know, I've seen that firsthand in the thousands of youth I was speaking to that anytime I'd ask, like, who here has heard the term grief before? Of course, everyone would raise their hands who here has learned about grief before and and what it looks like and feels like and what to do with it. And maybe one or two people students in a 30 student class would raise their hands. I mean, that was the average. So seeing firsthand the disservice of what it means to live in a culture that is so untethered from the skills and the learning of grief because grief is learned. So that, it really hit that home for me. And I was seeing it in both an experiential way, in a professional way, and then just through these, um, I guess, more adult eyes of really looking in, uh, at our world and looking at life around me and seeing both the interconnection in both the beautiful, heartfelt, caring ways, but also in the heartbreaking ways.
0: Mm, Wow, there's so many layers there. I have to go back to Grasshopper, though, and ask Uh you, you know, you're six years old. And I do want to say that as you're telling that story, I'm flooded with memories. Um, Uh Mine was mine was a June bug about the same age or maybe a little bit younger that my mother had encouraged me to have as a friend. And um, but um yeah, I won't tell my story, but it, it did. It was like, yes, yes, I forgot. You know, I had forgotten about that. That one had been filed. But now, you know, when I when you're looking at at Grasshopper and the losses that you experienced, like losing people, um mm-hmm. did you did that come up? Did you feel like that experience had laid a pathway? Because in some ways, I feel like you know that is so big for you coming up. It was a bit of foreshadowing, in a way, of yes. what was to come for you. But I'm wondering yes. if that experience and walking through that kind of intense grief, yeah, affected your human loss. You know, your further human loss. Well, it's life. it's really
1: yeah. You know, it's really interesting, Becky. So there's a couple things that I'm getting I'm getting curious about. One is that. The thing that really sticks out to me now is how at that six-year-old grief, as I said, it was so, um, it actually brought me closer to the present moment in a very like vivid way. Whereas if I think about other ways that I've grieved in, whether it's been through death or through these other kind of gateways that I speak about in other areas also, is that, and, and then what I'm seeing, I think part of the conditioning culturally is that, Grief has been something that has brought me away from a moment, or in in some cases, made me totally disembodied or almost dissociate in the in the pain and the grief. And so that's becoming really present for me in this moment as I think back to the six year old and the grasshopper, and then I think about to other experiences. Now this is where I I'm a bit different also um, in my experiences because honestly, my most profound grief experiences. Have not been because of death of loved ones. They've been. There's been other gateways that have been my um, invitations into grief. And I'm not saying. So, uh, my grandparents, who um, are have both died many years ago, but who were both on my mom's side, my grandma and grandpa were pivotal in terms of uh, a place of resource and resilience and love and care for me throughout a to childhood that was um, very much uh, disrupted and um, led to a lot of developmental trauma that I've been living with and healing through. And so when my grandparents died, it, it's so interesting because, um, because it wasn't so much the grief for them that was the defining moments of their death and how that has inf- informed me. It was actually the fact that how strong of a presence they were after they dropped their bodies and and the continuing connection I have with them in spirit form that has made me realize how important and to re that aspect of me that I haven't always spoken explicitly about in in the work that I do or in the ways that I roll through the world until the last maybe handful of years. I've been speaking to that more specifically, but it's really tied to this other very formative grief experience for me which i call um like spiritual grief is this profound struggle to become fully here incarnate to fully commit to being embodied in this life and this has been a through thread of um Grief for me that has followed me through my life in ways that I definitely could not articulate or name for many years, but have come to know and name and to explore and to continue learning from and continue to accept its invitation for me to become more and more embodied. And what I'm finding, and this is where it's connecting with the grasshopper. And this is all just coming up because of your invitation and me meditating on it is that. It, it, and it sounds kind of paradox, but the more that I've done my healing work around, around really coming into my body and being committed to this life here and, and learning how to stay embodied, that the more I've become embodied, yes, the more I have like felt, uh, grief. Um, I have more capacity to feel the grief because grief is a very embodied experience and paradoxically, the more I've been able to actually transform grief and have it move through me to experience it deeply, but then also to have it move through and transform and uh, kind of complete its cycle, I guess you could say. And I'm, complete is a weird word because I think we, you know, we always live with the losses and experiences and they're always with us. We're always carrying them. Um, but the more I was able to maybe allow grief's natural movements to move through me, much more than I was able to when I um, wasn't so committed to being here. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And in that journey, it means that my connection with the spirit realm has always been very strong ever since I was a child. I was very open um, because I wasn't very embodied. And I mean, that was exacerbated by early childhood trauma. Um, And so my grandparents' death made me realize how much that actually is a part of who I am, that that kind of foot in both worlds and working with those after they have dropped their body and and looking at rites of passage of death and working with the ancestors and also this importance of embodiment. And maybe Grasshopper was my first real experience that I'm now coming full circle to of like what it's like to grieve when you're, when you have yet to really be um, conditioned by a dominant culture that is saying that grief is a pathology or get over it, et cetera. And it's very, it's a very disembodying uh, way of being with grief because that exquisiteness of like the presencing of the grief for grasshopper is not something that I think I have ever fully experienced. And maybe what I'm trying to relearn and I support other people in relearning also is how to beat our grief in such a bo- embodied and, presence way, and present way.
0: Well, I get from your grasshopper experience, you know, it also shines a light on your deep, deep capacity to love and care at yes. years of age, which is profound. But also I think your point is well taken. I remember that feeling myself about You know, I had a hand in this as well. So gosh, how many lessons, how many layers of life learning did you get with that experience?
1: (laughs) Yes, in ways that I'm not even sure of at this moment, it is going to be an ongoing, like curiosity and exploration. And I think, you know, I don't, yes, yes, I have a profound love for earth and for life. And I would say that one of my, identities is definitely a lover of life. And to be a lover of life is to be able to feel both the joy and the beauty of it and the the pain and the suffering of it. And I don't think I was particularly special, you know, at six years old, it sounds like, I I feel like, like, you know, you the fact that you have a resonance and you have your June bug story, you know, and it's like, Perhaps it's, it's an invitation for all of us. It's like, what are we, what are we relearning that we actually came in with, but got stamped out, you know, that got conditioned out or because of, you know, disrupted ancestral life ways of learning the skills of grieving and also seeing healthy grief expression and communal expression and ritual around grief growing up in that and it being the waters you're swimming in versus those of us who you know are maybe have haven't grown up in a tradition or a religious um um tradition that has intact ways of supporting and being with and coming together around death and dying and grief which i think is many of us um and for many of us you know we go far enough back in our ancestral lineages like Grief was a inherent like birthright and skill and just something that was part and parcel of a healthy, balanced community. And so, yeah, I, I I wonder about this if i I wonder if there's more people who have you know the grasshopper and the june bug stories, and then I think of all our like insect friends and kin out there or the the snake friends or the worm friends, and how many people have these memories also where it's been some other than human uh experience when we we're children that has been teaching us and was an experience of profound grief and our own relationship to uh, ourselves, to each other, to the other than human world, to, you know, and just being in the and the magic. I mean, that's just even just part of the developmental stage of being small children. And so it's like, there's this invitation from the wisdom of our younger selves. How do we get back to that place? And how, so how do we reclaim the practices that are, feel both personally and culturally relevant that support us in grieving?
0: I'm very curious. I mean, it does feel like for, and and here we both are as adults immersed in work surrounding loss Mm -hmm. and death and grief. So, so yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't know how many other children have those experiences, but certainly it's a, it's a beautiful connection. I'm feeling with you about that. But the other thing that you brought up that I would really love us to have some time to hear about is, um, you're being able to freely talk about, you know, your grief cycle and how a part of that is connecting to, and I love your terminology, after they drop their body. And it just says, I I can just envision, right, that they're just walking, walking, and suddenly the body falls away. And it's actually Uh a lovely imagery of how Mm. love or essence or whatever we want to call that continues, life, mm-hmm. you know, continues mm-hmm. on. Now I understand that our listeners are going to be of all levels of belief, but they're also not shy to that that yes. I commonly ask the ask the question to people, you know, have you felt any connection from the beyond? Because mm-hmm. I'm personally mm-hmm. I I don't um I don't preach a way of thinking, you know, spiritually, et yes. I'm a I'm a seeker and I'm open. I'm very, very open. I'm just open to what arises in the moment. But there, to me, I love the way what came up to me, as you said, it was almost that you see that as a cycle of the grief. So you grieve the loss and I'm maybe putting words in your mouth, but what I'm feeling from this is, you know, you grieve the loss, you grieve the person, but then at some point, you know, that moves into the relationship, the continued relationship. And I'm curious what Mm -hmm. that looks like for you or, you know, because I think a lot of our listeners that are grieving, grieving deeply struggle to get to that Mm -hmm. space. And I think it's a hugely healing place to visit. <laughs> mm-hmm. To you know, that mm-hmm. even to conceptualize the possibility that there can remain a a living connection there. Can you talk about that for us? Yes.
1: Yeah, I mean, and there's a lot of complexity to this also, and I'm, and um, you know, in the support work that I do, I really just meet folks where they're at and again like um am not uh adamant about any particular belief system. What I can say, like a few things, first of all, like ancestral connection, reverence for, um, ancestors or ancestral tending, um, holidays and, and special traditions or rituals around, uh, honoring, uh, those who have died, um honoring the ancestors is such a cross cultural cross time practice that looks so many exquisitely different and beautiful ways across different times cultures ancestries etc and so the the understanding or the knowledge or the practice of connecting in with our dead with our ancestors is is not new it may be um practices that we have been disconnected from for for many, many generations, depending on our um, heritage, depending on the histories of our peoples. But throughout time, I can I could say, like, I, I, I'm always hesitant to say everyone or make some kind of sweeping mm-hmm. statement, but uh, m- most cultures, I would say, had some kind of understanding or worldview or cosmology that um, – death is a rite of passage to the next phase and so i guess me using dropped your body is is in that framework Mm -hmm. regardless of how that cosmology is specific to any one person and so this is where you know this is in my grief work i really bring not just the therapeutic individual lens which i think is really important but i think in our western culture um which, which is hyper focused on, on the therapeutic, like, um, quote unquote healing of grief, uh, in an individual way is, has done a lot of disservice is that our grief is, is not only for what we've lost in our own experience, but in intact cultures, there's ways to work with grief that was about Your grief was your connection with the person who died. Your grief was an offering to support them in this phase, this rite of passage of death. There were communal rituals and death rites um, to ensure that people come together, and that that grief expression was about helping to keep healthy both the ones left behind still incarnate, plus the ones the offerings to the dead and to the ancestors. And a secondary benefit was that also it therapeutically supported yourself. And so when those become disrupted and disconnected, which I think a lot of our present wounding culturally is that this is playing out is when our grief has nowhere to go. And we haven't grown up with these intact ways of relating to grief, knowing our grief, knowing rituals that, that really meet our grief, let alone not feeling like a burden when we are um, yearning for connection to be heard and seen and mirrored in our experiences is that grief then becomes this individual upcycling. And so compassion. It's no wonder why so many of us going through grief don't feel like we can get to the place of then suddenly coming back into relationship with the one who's died because our whole culture and, and context that we are grieving in isn't supporting that. And maybe we haven't grown up with that worldview. And yet, um I think there's beautiful ways of coming into that. There's obviously no rhyme or rhythm in terms of uh, how that may look for each one of us. It depends on the loss. It depends on our relationship. It depends on our attachment, all of those things. Um, and for some people, death is death and it means the end. And so their ongoing relationship may be the relationship to the memory of that person and the, you know, keeping the photo album out and making sure that stories of that person are still told at the dinner table or they're still, Anniversary dates that are honored and, and that may be that. And for some other folks, the continuing relationship may also be one in spirit. And it can take a while to get to that point because it's not the same and it won't be the same as, as obviously the relationship you had with that person when they were embodied. And that's the pain of it. And that's, you know, that's the grief of it. And so. For those who are open to the spirit connection ongoing, you know, therapeutic terms might be called continuing bonds, right? In Western theory, for those who are open to that, it's almost like two relationships that you're now coming into and needing to nurture the the relationship with the ongoing lived memory of that person, your incarnate, embodied, everyday experience of them um both the good and the, the ugly of it, right, in our humanity, but then also coming in and learning about what that relationship could look like, could feel like in the spirit realm once that person has completed their rite of passage of death and has become, what we might say, resolved and fully in their spiritual essence. Many of us, I don't, this is a framework that I hold, is many of us, you know, we don't we're likely not able to fully fulfill our spiritual essence while we're in our lived body embodied life. And so when we're the ones left behind grieving, it's tender and so much compassion around this. And a lot of the work is supporting folks. If I'm working with them long enough and they've, they've invited me in to companion them along you know, a good year or so of that journey, it's both reconciling the lived memory of that person and then coming into and being open to the vulnerability of what it might be like to have a new relationship with that person in spirit form.
0: That's just beautiful. Mm. I What kept coming up for me during that with my own experience too, is the idea of mm-hmm. how I think a lot of people when they think of continuing that relationship in spirit form, um, wait, Mm -hmm. wait for the signs and wait, um, you know, well I don't think they're around or I don't think that's happening because, you know, I haven't had these profound signs that other people have when in actuality, I think what I'm hearing you talk about, and it made me think a minute about myself was, um, it's, it's actually about not waiting. It's about reaching out for me. I'll talk about my own, you know, Mm -hmm. it's about, Mm -hmm. um, and, and Mm -hmm. yeah, you know, I did, I have seen signs, but, but it's not waiting for that. It's, it's not stopping that, um, sending my love to them you know sending my words to them yes yeah, um that kind of thing right i mean do you know what i'm saying because i just talk a lot yes. about it you know, it's like yeah no i don't really get that because you know there's not been the things with the lights that other people talk about or they're you know they're waiting for right. something very really right. profound to happen well and i think yeah i
1: think there's several things around. found no, mm-hmm. that's Sorry. Right. um just in response to what you're sharing, you know, I think there's several things around that. One is that, I mean, part of just our ability and trust and, uh, trusting the potential and possibility of connecting in with a spirit realm. I mean, that has been largely stamped out in our cultures, dominant cultures, Mm -hmm. right? Like if you can't see it, hear it, smell it, touch it, and you, you know, then it's not real. And so that's part of the reclaiming. It's coming back into our intuitive senses of knowing, um, to, to be in a different type of relationship with somebody who is no longer in embodied incarnate form. So I I think that plays into it, you know, and I also, what I've learned and what I see and what tends to be a bit of a cross-cultural understanding, um, in different ways is that, like any rite of passage, there's a certain amount of time that usually needs to pass. And there can, we can kind of map it out in general terms is that when someone first dies, oftentimes there might actually be heightened contact within mm-hmm. the first few weeks because in a lot of different cosmologies, there's the understanding that our loved ones they kind of stick around. They want to see who's going to show up to their funeral. They want to see who's grieving. They want to see how much they were loved. Are they going to be missed? Or um, And so there's this period where there might actually be heightened contact or dreams or visitations in the first few weeks, maybe even months after the death. And then there's a point, and this looks different for different religious traditions, different cultures, the actual time frames. Um, sometimes people say it's up to a year. In some cosmologies, it's 40 days where that person who has died actually needs to orient themselves towards the spirit realm and fully leave the incarnate realm and complete their rite of passage, do whatever resolution they needed, uh, whatever they needed to to elevate or to fully become in their spiritual essence. And typically, the understanding is that during that time... They're not available to turn back and connect with the living because they need to complete their process. And so when that's complete and different times for different worldviews, when someone has completed their rite of passage and they're now fully in that, um, different terminology, they're fully elevated or they're, they're now a full ancestor. And they, they've completed what they need in their life cycle process, which is including, you know, living is actually all of this. It's the land of the ancestors. It's the being embodied, all of it. That birth and death are just two doors, to rites of passage. When they're ready, they can turn their attention back and in their full spiritual essence, having both the wisdom gleaned from a lived incarnate life, plus now their wisdom from having the spiritual orient, like, um, perspective on everything, they can then turn their attention back to the living as a source of wisdom and connection and ongoing relationship. So that's one way, you know, that's how I kind of see the work and holding it. And I've, I've seen it play out in my own life. And, um, it's a bit of a cross cultural, maybe principle when it comes to rites of passage of death. So, so it makes sense that let, yes, let's sit in our grief as both an offering of love and honor to the person that has died as a way to help them also reconcile that yes, they've dropped their body and they're on this next rite of passage. Yes, let's stay in the place of being open to that possibility and that real opportunity to connect with them in spirit form and let's also hold with generosity and a wide embrace that that will have a different timeline and will look and feel differently for all of us mm-hmm.
0: that absolutely resonates it resonates with all the research i've done and it resonates in my heart as well so thank you for sharing mm-hmm. that overview yeah mm-hmm. well why don't you share with our listeners and me i i was on your beautiful website today mm-hmm. so um, it, it, it's a great place to explore if people um, feel interested in um, looking more mm-hmm. into your work or the possibility of working. And I also noticed that um, you have a lovely video there. You're a, a musician as well, a singer. Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah, that's beautiful. Yes, yes. You know, it's, it's, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, music was a big part of my life for many years. And I'm trying to trust the ebb and flow of it, but uh, it has kind of um, flowed out of my life for the last few years. And I think it's to open up room for me to continue deepening into this, this work that I'm doing and holding and continuing to have (laughs) refine and work through me also. Um, But I mean, music was definitely a way. um, In fact, my last album that was released in uh, 2016, called this regal heart is very much a journey of my coming to terms with my grief, coming into a relationship with my grief, reconciling things, and also as an honoring of my own heritage and where I've come from. So that is, that is available on iTunes for anyone who's looking for heartfelt, soulful, um, uh, well, music. Yeah. Uh, this regal heart. Um, in terms of my yeah my i mean my body of work really my paths all come together around grieving embodiment ritual ancestral healing and how to really reclaim our ability to be with ourselves each other and with life and our own, um, you know, and the other than humans um, through this gateway of, of grieving and grief as a right to, and towards deeper belonging, especially in our time. So I support folks um, with, with grieving. I support folks with ancestral healing work. I provide uh, mentorship for individuals who are interested in, deepening their capacities to hold space for others going through their grief journey. I've, I have a quite a wide background and I'm so thankful. I mean, I have many beautiful teachers and they're on my website, shanajans.com, in the about me section and, and just really naming all the people and the bodies of work that have informed me. And in this moment, a special gratitude to all of the people, the families, the communities, the youth, um, other organizations who have brought me in and trusted me and brought me in to companion them on their journey, whether that has been in a therapeutic way, whether that has been holding grief rituals, whether that has been through teaching and training. And so I've, I'm really thankful that I've had a, a, a diverse background of experiences of working with different people with different types of losses and lived experiences, different ancestries, um, and I've learned so much from them. So really like praise to all of those, um, souls who have, who have invited me in. I've also just recently in the last year or so. Um, you know, most of my work had, had been really focused on my local community here. I'm in Victoria, British Columbia, so the west coast of Canada, on the ancestral lands, Coast Salish ancestral lands of the Kwasanich, Songhees, and Esquimalt First Nation peoples. So this is where my local community. Um, and just in the past year and a half, that's broadened now through online programs and opportunities. So uh sacredgrief.com has uh, different programs there, uh, both in, you know, I have a specific program around reclaiming grief and ritual and ancestral practices. I have a training program on therapeutic skills and soulful approaches to supporting others. And I'm really motivated. Um, you know, in some ways, I, I borrow the term from Francis Weller that I consider myself a grief activist and I situate myself Comfortably between the worlds of like therapy and therapeutic ways of approaching, and then also um, holistic and spirit mediated ways of approaching how to come back into a relationship with death, dying, and grief. And I'm really um, motivated and passionate about opening up conversations, deepening our skills in how to be in these places and to reclaim Ways of being with grief that are not only personally relevant, as we learn how it is we we relate to our own grief, how it is we're in relationship to how it is we grieve, and therefore what practices and rituals are personally relevant to how it is that we express our grief, but then also how we can start reclaiming, if not the actual tangible practices, the essence of relating to grief and ritual that are relevant to your own ancestral heritage. So I'm really, um, yeah, I get jazzed well, up about it's, that. It's very vast.
0: <laughs> you know, when I was looking at your, it's, it's, it's a lot. It's, um, so I'm imagining mm-hmm. what you do is rather than somebody looking at that and knowing exactly the path, you know, that you meet the person where they're at and kind of go from there. Is that, yeah,
1: absolutely. 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 Yes. So, um, when someone, comes to me for grief support it's it's absolutely meeting them where they're at and what i have found one of the entryways um you know oftentimes in a westernized um psychological context you know there's a lot of focus on the loss event and then the grief afterwards and what I really invite and what I've learned specifically from people who are have experienced traumatic bereavement um, and having a loved one die by homicide or suicide is that how important it is to actually explore and to uplift the story, the lived memories, the lived life of that loved one and the relationship and connection to them because there is where the, The meaning of that loss is found. And so it's not just the death event and the personal grief afterwards. It's let's please tell me about your loved one, please. Like, what was your relationship with them? What yearnings and needs did they meet? What were both the, the beautiful, beautiful aspects of it? And what also maybe didn't hit the mark that, uh, Things that you didn't get met in that relationship you were hoping for. And as we explore that, that is what gives shape and language and understanding and meaning to what it is that person mm-hmm. is grieving. It's not just the death of so and so. It's the relationship and the nuances and the meaning and the, the yearnings that were met or not met by that relationship. And so that's the starting point. Um, and then I, I really, um, uh, Alan Wolfelt uses the expression companioning. And I've really just embraced that wholeheartedly. And I've had the pleasure of being taught by him also. And it's about, I'm here to walk alongside you to be curious, to not shy away from your pain, to, to continue to have the privilege of being opened to it and invited in to it. And I'm not here to fix anything. I'm here to hold space. I'm here to ask questions. I'm here to help explore it and to lean into it in ways in your own, in in right pacing. Right. And, and with a with a, what I say, a wide embrace. Beautiful.
0: And when I first saw the word companion, I companioning, I was curious about, um, Mm. are you doing any end of life work? With the dying, or is it primarily with the great
1: I yeah, Becky. You know, yeah, I had explored that, and I had um, in my exploration because I'm a I'm a bit of a I, I like to I like to create things. So I I brought together um, a local community here, the Victoria uh, Holistic Death Care Gatherings, which is still uh, was taken on by two, uh, three other wonderful people who are now carrying it forward. And I started really exploring into like supporting end of life. And I um, helped to envision and put on a Deathly Matters annual conference here with the wonderful Linda Hunter, which she still is, is, I mean, it's her baby now. Um, and in that process, I realized, yes, I'm intimately connected to death but my real soul sweet spot in you know in terms of where i can show up best and support is the grief journey for any type of life change transition whether that be death or other and then uh if folks are if this is something that they're seeking is the ancestral reclamation and spirit mediated work um my work is very is both therapeutically guided with lots of different training and also very much intuitively led. And so I speak more and more to, um, making that explicit. Um, so, yeah, so I feel I, I'm, I'm like, bring me the grief. Let's be in that together. And if you're curious and open and you want to explore what it's like to reconnect with your own ancestors in spirit, um, I have a beautiful, uh, way and, and enjoy, uh, supporting folks in that way. Also,
0: so I think it sounds like a, a beautiful. Um service that you're providing. Um, yeah. For people that, you know, I guess some, so many times you see, like you, you've inferred the compartmentalization of grief and this feels so broad spectrum. I love that.
1: Yes. Mm. Yeah. It's for whatever reason, when I came out of that came out of it. That's weird. The ecological despair that I continued to, to work with and, and, and grieve, it was really like, rather than show up for any particular type of loss and experience, the invitation was like, show up for Mm -hmm. grief in and of itself, you know? And it's kind of an interesting, it's a little bit, yeah, I get curious. I mean, language is funny. So sacred grief, you know, I was asked the other day, like, why sacred grief? and i kind of giggled i'm like you know everything is sacred if i if i were to think on or connect in with my own ancestors about like their relationship to grief they'd probably be like well yeah grief is sacred but so is like baking bread and raising children and doing you know death rites and you know having a garden and tending and and treating the earth well and being in good relationship and so it's this curious It's almost like it's needed in this time. It becomes relevant to put a qualifier in front of grief to say, "Hey, this is sacred too." Like let's invite our intent, our attention and intention back to this, because by doing this, this is one way to come back into life more fully. And if there's one thing I'm hyper attuned to is a level of numbness and all the opportunities to numb out and to not fully be supported to have the capacity to feel the full expression of our humanity. And I mean, that's, that's the underlying passion is like, how can I support people in reclaiming their full humanity? And then from that place, like that to me is sacred. That is where inspiration and creativity and emergence and being a lover of life. I mean, that's available to all of us. That is all of our inheritance and birthright. And so for me, grief is one way that is the way that resonates with me. I think a lot of people are doing this kind of work, whether it's like coming back into, um, you know, uh, sensuality and eroticism and sexuality or through movement and dance or through, um, connection with the other than human and the earth and coming back into connection that way. I think there's so many different gateways. And for me, it's just for whatever reason in this lifetime, it's grief is the gateway that um, I'm tending to and inviting others to join. Oh, well, that's
0: on. beautiful. I'm in your club. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. Thanks, country,
0: I love, I, I think it, you know, for lack of a better term, like you say, language is so heavy and so important, but I'll just say refrains to a degree because, um, you know, grief can be a really dirty mm-hmm. word and it can be something to have to run through and yes. move through so quickly. And please aren't you over your grief? And, yes. um, I'm with you. I mean, there it, it's the sacred to me, just hearing the title sacred grief gives me a bit of a, you know, an exhale and, uh, Oh, okay. Maybe this Mm. person gets it. Now, of course it's not going to be for everybody, but there are many, many people out there that could use that kind of companioning um, because there's not really been, Mm. you know, a common paradigm that we've set up yet to grieve in that manner where it's a, it's a growth, you know, it's a, it's growth and it's, yeah, it's a building. Yes, it resiliency. it's resiliency. Yeah. It's Ooh. love. Well, yeah.
1: and you know, we can tell that there's such a need for it because of how many people are. I mean, there's so many other folks who are also holding this work in their own un- unique ways, right? Like it's really, in the last 10 years or so, has really come online more and so brilliant, beautiful. And That's I think what we in want. At
0: times, it would be a miss for us not to bring up the fact, you know, I. Obviously, these are not recorded live, and so it'll be, you know, a few weeks, and I'm not sure what our terrain mm-hmm. will look like by the time this episode is uh dropped. But mm-hmm. in this time of COVID, um, it's really bringing yes. up a lot of um, varying degrees of loss and grief yes. for people, and I think this is a Absolutely. timely uh, listen. Because by the time this years, if people are finding mm-hmm. themselves um, still, uh, I don't know, str- if struggling, I'll just say struggling, you know, with some concept of loss or grief or or like you described with your yes. worldview. If what's going on now has just um, mm-hmm. widened, uh, you know, really etched out a opening of A more comprehensive grief and worldview that they could use some companioning with. That's just good to know that people out there can speak that, speak to that, and um, let you speak to it, right? Let Mm -hmm. let people, let you know. I think so. Many times that's what the service is more, isn't it? Is just facilitating people finding their own words Mm -hmm. and their own paths.
1: Yes, exactly. And I mean, what a, I mean, what a time. Uh, obviously, this time of, of being in this COVID-19 pandemic is going to be so different for each and every one of us, depending on who we are and our histories and where we're living and what kind of access to resources we have and where we sit, like where our social location is, whether we've come from historically marginalized populations, all of those things. Like, it's so complex and, you know if i really drop in to see like if there's a time to not only intellectually cognitively know that we're all interconnected like look at how visib- like visibly that's arising right now both through the heartwarming ways that people are showing up for one another, the mutual aid, grassroots, uh, coming together, communities of care, etc., but also through the heartbreaking ways that um, are being surfaced, that some people have been living f- for a long time but are being surfaced even more today in terms of inequalities, injustices, all of those things. And so that the image or the like sense I get is, is almost, you know, when people put those videos, like you can have a video clip of something, let's say someone jumping off a cliff into the water. And then as soon as they jump, Mm -hmm. the video goes in Mm -hmm. slow motion. Right. And there's like a slow motion, like period of time where everything just feels suspended. It feels like that for me right now like we're in this liminal space, we're in this suspension, grief is absolutely arising, not only from what's happening now, but also likely what's being uh, re-triggered from old grief. And also with this, for many of us, there's more spaciousness So what's arising that didn't get to in the hustle bustle before. And so all of this is just this kind of soupiness of both the grief but and the resiliency. And I think one of the important things right now is because the pain is here, because we're all up front and feeling it in our own different ways, right now the importance is the practices of noticing the beauty, noticing resilience, noticing and practicing gratitude so that we can continue meeting this moment with as with as much openness um, as possible. Um, and, and so I, I really see like that, you know, the grief and gratitude, the pain and the praise and the, the beauty and like, how do we ensure that we're, we're practicing or inviting attention and orientation to both in our lives right now, which is going to support us because the pain is here, right? It's in so many different ways. Yes. Well.
0: Shauna, I'd like for you mm-hmm. to share with people what's where's mm-hmm. your main stop, and we're going to have everywhere to contact you in the notes to this episode. But yeah, so as cool. we <laughs> as we wrap here, where's the first
1: place people yeah.
0: go to get your mm-hmm. information?
1: I mean. Uh... I'm not super socially savvy (laughs) and on there all the time. So, um, I mean, shaunajans.com, my personal website, and then sacredgrief.com for, um, the online programs, lots of information there and ways to connect with me. I do have Instagram, sacredgrief, Jans. please come connect there, um, one of my invitations to myself is to, is to start posting a bit more and being a bit more interactive and on there. So that's a goal. Um, and perhaps uh, people coming to meet me there will help entice me into that <laughs> more. Um, and I do have uh, Facebook sacred grief, Shauna Jans also, um, uh, I have a Facebook page there, but probably Instagram, um, or my awesome. websites. All right. Well, thank mm-hmm. you so
0: much for taking the time today. I really appreciate it. We hope you've enjoyed your time with us today. We'd love for you to get further connected with our project. You can find the links in the podcast information. You can also find the Death Dialogues Project on Facebook, on Instagram, and at www.deathdialogues.net. Take a care and see you next time.